Hello and welcome back finally to a new podcast episode. I'm Father Roderick and I'm recording this on International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Arr! Which I'm pretty sure if I do that for the entire show, you're going to be totally sick of it. So I'm just going to do it here in the beginning. <laughs> welcome to the show, Lenny. This episode of the podcast is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash well, I know, that's just... No, no, you have to do the slash. Patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Thank you so much for your monthly support. It helps me to keep this show ad-free and I don't have to bother you with all sorts of ways to monetize what I do. It's just, I make this for you and you help me make it. That's the... For me, you know what's going on? The ideal situation. This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right. We need to talk about everything that happened this week. And if you are a regular subscriber to this show, if you listen to the podcast on your iPod or your phone or even on your computer, you may have noticed that the previous show wasn't downloading. And whatever you tried, it, it, it gave an error message or the show wasn't even there for, for a couple of days. Normally, I record this on Monday so that you can get it on Tuesday or, or Wednesday at the latest. It's already Thursday, International Talk Like a Pirate Day, <laughs> and you'll probably only see this in your feed, I don't know, Friday over the weekend. I have no idea. But last week... The shows weren't even there. The feed was broken, and I got a lot of messages from you on social media, uh, personal emails. Of people, well, what's going on? And that alerted me uh, that that something was wrong. Because normally, when I when I'm done recording, I don't have to to worry about it anymore. So what happened was that we're, we we hosted our both the feed. So that is the code that your podcasting software uses to know where the new shows are both the feed and also the shows themselves so the mp3 files that you're listening to were hosted on a service called um feed press and feed press uh was a relatively new organization or is a relatively new organization and when feed burner that a lot of us podcasters used for our feeds um was abandoned by google FeedPress kind of entered the market saying, hey, we are totally ready to take over and come to us. It's super cheap, very reliable, um, was no nonsense, really made for podcasters. And, uh, and that's what we did. We moved over everything over to FeedPress and uh, we stored our files there. Well, first year... Fantastic! What a great, uh, what a great service! What a great crew! It was a small um, a group of people that were running business there, and then after about a year and a half, radio silence. No more blog posts. No more re replies to our um, to our problem. You know, when we have a problem, you you write write to the help desk. Normally, you get like a ticket back, and they'll follow up on that. Not a peep. Nothing. However, the service itself was, was working, was working fine, and we had already signed up and paid for a year. So we were like, well, as long as it's working, who knows what's going on behind the screens, but it, behind the scenes, I should say, <laughs> also behind the screens, but, 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 well, it's working. So let's hope that we can make it until the end of our contract. 
Well, unfortunately, that was not the case. And so the, the entire service went down, which means thousands of podcasters were hit by this and even more listeners. And so, and, and there was no way to figure out what was going on. If you Google, there's just nothing. Um, you write, you tweet, you post on Facebook, nothing, no reaction. So we realized that we were, um, uh, well, we were in, in trouble. And so over the weekend, we worked really, really hard to switch everything over to, um, in, in our case, Podbean. And a lot of our fellow podcasters uh, were scrambling to find alternatives. Of course, you could go to Libsyn. Uh, Libsyn is a great podcasting service. Um, and, and also uh, very, very supportive of, of the podcasters. But for us, um, the, the reason that we went to Podbean instead of going back to, Pod, to Libsyn that we've used in the past is that with Libsyn, you pay a certain monthly amount of uh, money and then you can upload uh, a certain... Um, you get a, an allotted amount of, of, of megabytes or whatever. So the data that you can upload per, week, per month is limited. Um, but then once the show is uploaded, it stays there forever. So that's very generous. But for us, in our case, we had to re-upload all our podcasts because everything that was hosted on FeedPress was broken. And I don't think they're ever going to come back. I, I wonder what, what, what is going on there, but I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this. So what we wanted to do is bring back our archives and upload them all. And Podbean does offer you uh, an FTP connection and you can re-upload everything and fix the feeds. And, and so that's what we did. And hopefully for most of you, things will be back to normal. Um, our, our current uh, account also gives us the opportunity to re-upload even older archives. And maybe we'll do something like that for our, um, our Patreon supporters. Uh, I know that uh, some of you are would really like to go back in time and listen to really old shows. Um, now, of course, we have like a deal with SQPN, which was the former um, platform that hosted our shows. So some of the stuff is, is, is with SQPN, but even they don't have everything back online. Like, for instance, there was a lot of debate going on about Harry Potter, and I recorded, I don't know, 70-plus shows uh, about Harry Potter, but that was still when we were with SQPN. But SQPN hasn't put them back online, probably also for the same reasons. You can't re-upload that to Libsyn easily. So I don't know if I, if I can bring back, you know, older shows like that. Or but at least we can bring back what we what we own and what we uh, uh, what I've done myself. So we'll still, you know, we, we we will need some time to figure out what we can do and what we can do. But at least the show is back. So really, I, my my heartfelt apologies to all of you that have been going bananas over the feet not working and and of course we had no way to 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 communicate with the podcasters via podcast because the, the thing was broken so if you listen to this then you're good you're good and let us know if it works for you and uh, and thanks so much for your patience but for us it was a bit of a nightmare because it's not that we have don't have any other things to do during the week we have a very very small crew and lots and lots of uh urgent things to handle so it it took us a while to um to figure out what was going on and and to fix it afterwards but 
Hopefully we're back for most of you. Then this was also uh, a week of surprises, but then also positive surprises. And the biggest surprise for us, you may have already seen it on, on my Facebook and on my YouTube feeds, was the launch of Disney Plus in the Netherlands. And so all of a sudden, Disney announced that they were going to launch Disney Plus in the Netherlands right there and then. And it was free for the Dutch at least until the official starting date on November 12th. So they're using the Netherlands as a, let's say, uh, say they're using us here in the Netherlands as guinea pigs to figure out if everything works well and to figure out the streaming, and then they can upscale it to the world. So I'm one of the few people in the world that has already got Disney+, and it is glorious. It is everything you hope it will be. But then even better, it, just the other day, I was watching The Last Jedi on my TV using the Disney Plus app on my Xbox, my Xbox One, and I was able to watch the movie in 4K HDR, and seriously, it looked better than when I went to see it at the movie theater. It is so good. And and just having access to the Clone Wars, to Rebels, to even the more recent animated ver um, uh, series of Star Wars. Of course, all the promised stuff, the ex exclusive Disney Plus stuff is not yet there. So no Simpsons yet, no, um, no Mandalorian. So don't worry about that. <laughs> we'll get to see that just as most of you uh, when it launches on November 12. And my apologies to all of you that won't have Disney Plus November 12, but have to wait until uh, 2020. Um, but what I currently already am able to access is great, and I love it. And it gave me an idea. I was like, what if... You know, I'm, I'm watching quite a bit of Star Wars right now, but what if I record short commentary videos... And I, and I make that available to the patrons. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I would. I let me know if you would like me to do that. And it's again, it's a, a way to thank the those of you that are supporting me and to give something that is more. I don't know, makes you feel a bit more special. Um, so let me know if you, if if you would enjoy that. And uh, and if you are not a patron supporter. Would that be something that would uh, incentivize you to become a patron? And then, you know, I, I kind of want to keep my stuff accessible for as many people as possible. So maybe I'll first post it on Patreon and then over time maybe release it on YouTube afterwards uh, after a couple of weeks or something like that. Um, but I'd mo I think what if I do it for, for patrons, I don't want to you know create artificial boundaries to that so even if you don't have much uh to share via patreon um i i don't think i'm gonna put an, an, a number on it but i just want to give something back to those of you that support what i do anyway that so that was the news um a lot going on plus and then i got ill that was the that was <laughs> the best thing so we got disney plus we got this podcasting crisis, and then I catch a cold, and I start to lose my voice, and I'm coughing, and I got a fever, and uh, and still quite nice weather outside, so it's not yet the time of year where you expect to fall ill, but I did, and I always have to be careful not to get a, catch a bronchitis, 
Yesterday, I was great. I'm thinking, oh, I'm good. I can go back to work. Today, I'm coughing a lot, and I'm not that great. So, yeah, let's hope this will uh, all be over during the weekend. Um, but coming up this weekend, um, on Saturday, I'm going to film in the south of the country. Um, and then next week, what am I going to do next week? Oh, lots of things. I don't want to think about next week. Let's first get healthy and let's talk movies and TV shows because that is something you can do even when you're sick. And that's what I did. It's kind of curl up on, on a, in, a, into a, in a nice chair, a nice Ikea chair, and just watch some stuff because I couldn't run. I was too sick to go out for marathon training. I couldn't really work that much, but I could watch some TV. So that is kind of, in a way, preparation for this weekly show. All right, so let's talk movies. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So, of course, you want to know, what did you watch on Disney Plus first? Well, a couple of things, actually. Um, and maybe not exactly what you expect me to watch first. But the first thing that I checked out was, of course, Star Wars. And it wasn't The Last Jedi, but it was The Clone Wars. I've explained this before. Um, I've never really followed The Clone Wars. I had, I've bought, I bought the... First season of Clone Wars on, on Blu-ray. But it was very, very expensive. But I was so curious, I just wanted to see it. I also uh, got the, the movie. They, they did this theatrical release to launch the Clone Wars. And it was not very good. But I bought it on Blu-ray anyway. So, uh, but then, I just, I didn't want to spend, what is it, 30, 40 bucks per season to just watch the Clone Wars. So, but I heard so many good things about it. So that was the very first thing that I watched. A couple of episodes of Clone Wars. And I didn't start with the first episode of the first season. Because a, a number of, of, of my fellow Star Wars fans that I know via Facebook and YouTube reacted on my... I did like... Um, like, hey, I've got Disney Plus. Go, uh, uh, let me show you. I, I did it like an impromptu video on YouTube. Which actually got... <laughs> tens of thousands of views and a lot of the people that watched that said um, well if you're going to watch The Clone Wars why don't you watch it in chronological order and I first didn't really understand what they were talking about so I googled it turns out that um, The Clone Wars was uh, launched as a kind of um, uh, an anthology type of show so they wanted to do standalone episodes and they kind of went back and forth in the timeline. The, the, the entire Clone Wars, of course, takes place between the, the second Star Wars movie and the third one. Uh, but they would kind of just jump back and forth. And now that the entire series is there, over time, when, this, when they got more into the story, they realized, well, you know what? We just need to do this chronologically. We're just following Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan. Let's just focus on that. And so for the latter, later seasons, it was all in chronological order. But in the beginning, it just jumped back and forth. And I remember that from the, from the Blu-ray season. And I was like, well, 
why do why do they give us all these inconsequential episodes where I don't even know where they are? They're like they like in two sentences they will say, "Well, Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin are on a mission on this and this planet," and it was like that has nothing to do with the previous episode. So I started to watch. Uh, I, so I googled a list on Reddit which gives you actually the entire chronological order of the Clone Wars episode. And I started in the second season with a couple of episodes. And then I went back to the first season. And that, it really helps. It makes for a better viewing, in my opinion. Because you kind of already know where Anakin and, and, and Obi-Wan are going to end up. And, uh, but this makes me feel... This, ma- this gives me the feeling that I'm actually filling in the gaps... Of, of things that I didn't know happened between the second and the third movie. Um, so it's it's an interesting experiment, and I'd love to comment on uh, my, let's say, on the story that is unfolding in the Clone Wars series. Um, but as I mentioned, I, I, I think I'm going to do that for the patrons first. Uh, but I there are already a lot of interesting things happening in that um, uh, in, in the Clone Wars series that are sometimes very much Star Wars, sometimes very new stuff that they're trying. It's a bit experimental also. Um, but I have stuff to say about it, but I'll, I'll keep it for later. Uh, as mentioned, I also watched The Last Jedi, or at least part of it, uh, again, in 4K, HDR, amazing sound also. And while watching it, I still have the same feeling with The Last Jedi. There are things that are very different from what I expected it to be. But a lot of the things that, that that some of the more bitter Star Wars fans criticize, I think, are inevitable. Uh, if you look at what um, the the Force Awakens establishes, it, it establishes. Sorry, I'm still not. My brain is not functioning the way it normally does. But if you follow, you know, the Force Awakens and you think it through, what is the only thing that can be going on with Luke Skywalker? Then then a lot of the stuff that is in The Last Jedi was already part of the deal with The Force Awakens. Still, the portrayal of Luke Skywalker by Mark Hamill, the way he was directed, the kind of his dialogue, it just doesn't feel like Luke Skywalker. It, 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 I understand the choices, but but even Obi Wan Kenobi was was a nicer guy than this old Luke Skywalker. So he's so bitter and so out of character. Yeah, I don't know. It it, it just there are a lot of scenes, especially with Luke Skywalker, that I did not like. Um, even the flashbacks with Kylo Ren. I was like, I understand what they do story wise, but I don't like the way it was acted. I don't like the way it was filmed. But, however, there's also so much that is very good in The Last Jedi. And there are some really interesting, daring uh, uh, um, new takes on the story. And, and, and so it, it does a lot of things that you don't expect and that I think make the movie really essential viewing. And I can't wait to see how J.J. Abrams is going to bring everything back together in the next episode, in episode 9. So that was fun. And then I just watched some other stuff on Netflix. I didn't didn't want to stuff my, my evenings with just Star Wars. So I watched uh, a movie every once in a while on Netflix. They will show you the new stuff that they have. 
Um, and one of the, or the movies that they got the, the rights to, one of those movies was Geostorm. I like disaster movies. I'll be honest about it. I love uh, uh, disaster stuff, like the, the Day After Tomorrow, um, pff, th- uh, Twister. It's usually uh, lots of special effects, usually quite mediocre special effects, bad acting, bad character development, and very predictable plot. I love that. <laughs> Give me more. As long as it involves tornadoes and tsunamis and uh, massive winter storms or glaciers or I don't care. As long as it's a disaster movie with uh, with lots of cities crumbling, I I I don't mind. I like that. So that's how I started watching Geostorm, which is a story that takes place in the near future. You get like in the first five minutes, um, they will tell you in. 2019, this year, everything went haywire and the entire ecosystem collapsed. And, uh, well, the things that we worry about, they show you in in five minutes what happened. And then, also very, mm, uh, you need a lot of suspension of disbelief. In a few years' time, the world came together and they built this huge uh, network of, of weather satellites not just satellites, but no, actually space stations that can can totally control the weather. So I don't know with our current technology how that is supposed to happen between now and 2025, but in a movie, they make you believe that they can now fully control the weather. So no more, no more rain during the day. Just press a button and it will just rain while you are sleeping. And when you wake up and you step on your bike, the rain stops. Well, of course, technology will break down. That's what I experience as a geek and nerd on a daily basis. So whatever will go wrong, will go wrong. It's not a matter, it's not, the question is not if it will go wrong, but when it will, when the system will break. Well, of course the system breaks and it has disaster consequences. Entire cities are destroyed by all sorts of weather disasters. And the there is only one person who created all this technology He's the mastermind. He made that entire system would have not existed except for him. And he was fired, of course, because he's a little bit unpredictable and not a nice guy. And so they fire him. And now he lives with his daughter somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And his brother works for the government and is tasked to go and try to bring him back on the project because he's the only one that can fix the system. Trope after trope after trope after trope. Uh, Actually, bad trope after bad trope after bad trope. Um, Then you get some stilted, very bad dialogue between him and his brother, and apparently there's some rivalry and some issues, some family issues. It's all so, oh my goodness, get on with it. Go to that space station and fix things. And of course, the things didn't break by itself. There is an evil plot going on of people actually deliberately breaking the system and wreaking havoc on the planet Earth. And then, of course, the day needs to be saved, and the rest of the movie is about, will the day be saved? Mm, You can probably guess what the answer is to that question. So, is it entertaining? Mm, Mildly. I... Did I have a good time? Um, yeah, it was okay. I did watch it. and But it's a popcorn movie, which requires a lot of popcorn. <laughs> and But is it a good movie? No. 
it's really pretty bad. You thought that the day after tomorrow was bad? Um, this is a lot worse. So anyway, but it was fun. It was it, it's just inconsequential, stupid movie. Um, and then I watched the Muppet movie, the original Muppet movie. It is right there on Disney Plus because Disney also owns. I'd forgotten about that, but Disney bought the Muppets. And the Muppet movie was the movie that made me fall in love with the Muppets for real. I was, uh, as a child, always watching the, 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 Muppet, the Muppet show. The Muppet movie came out. We went to the movie theater to watch it. I think I was in, uh, in high school. And I loved it. The, that first song, you know, The Rainbows. What an amazing opening. But I had such a romanticized memory of the Muppet movie. I, I, and I rewatched it. It's like... Oh, it's so grainy. It's so the uh, the quality that must have been so low budget. Um, so it's super grainy. The camera movements are very wonky. The acting is the Muppets are great, just the Muppets, me being the Muppets. But the hum the light, the the real actors that are in there. Oh, it's also cringeworthy. So it it didn't age well let's put it that way it's i still think that they should do a remake with better cameras more budget the same muppets the, the slightly upgraded story but you could totally tell the same story and do a reboot and it would be i think it would still be amazing <coughs> sorry from time to time my lungs are protesting they don't want me to podcast um and then the final movie that i watched is a movie uh, that comes with a warning. It's not for children. It's um, not even for uh, all adults. So it's R-rated. But it's not a horror movie or, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Um, it's a movie about nuns. Uh, and it's a very serious movie. And yet it's not for children. And um, if you uh, are queasy about uh, um, some scenes with sexual content, don't watch it. However, it is, it's a movie that made a huge impression on me. It's called The Novitiate. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. And it tells the story of a young girl uh, who is raised by two agnostic or even atheist parents. A very rural environment. Her father kind of leaves the family, is abusive, and uh, she's raised by her mom. Her mom is not religious at all. She's not baptized. But... One day, her mother decides to go to church and to take her with her and just to kind of let her daughter see why church is boring, basically that. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, she, they're visited by a number of uh, two nuns that are um, trying to uh, recruit children for their Catholic primary school. And it's free. So that is a great option for a poor family. So the, the, the kid goes to a Catholic school. The school is run by nuns, and this all takes place in the early 60s. And uh, uh, education is very good, and the nuns are great with kids. And um, the, this young girl, when she gets a little bit older, starts to think about becoming a nun, even though she was raised without faith. Uh, but she's mesmerized by... I think by by the authenticity of the nuns that are teaching there. <clears throat> and so to the horror of her mom, she tell she comes home one day and says, I want to become a nun. And she goes through with it. She 
enters the convent with uh, uh, lots of other young girls, all at the age of 16, 17. And they start, uh, not really the novitiate, but um, the they become postulants. Postulance is kind of the first phase. And after a couple, a couple of, well, a couple of months, sometimes a year, the postulants make their first vows. Those are temporal vows. So <clears throat> for those of you that are not very familiar, this could be a segment for the peculiar bunch, but um, uh, religious people make vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So poverty, you don't own anything. Everything you have is owned by the community, not by you. So no personal possessions. Uh, chastity, it means not only like celibacy, you, you don't marry, but a, a result of the uh, or uh, what comes with celibacy is also chastity. So that means no sexual relationships, no sex whatsoever. Um, so it's a chaste life. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you give up uh, uh, any sexual activity because you have given your life to God. Um, so it's uh, it's a life without sex. And three, um, the vow of obedience. It means <clears throat> you are not in control of your life. You pledge, you make a vow to be obedient to your superiors. So that can be obedience to uh, the mother superior. Um, as priests, we make the promise of obedience to our bishop and to his successors. So it means I'm not in control of what I do as work. If my bishop asks me or tells me to go to another city and to minister there, if he wants me to, I don't know, stop podcasting, and he has solid reasons for that, um, I have to be obedient. And so that is, uh, uh, th those three vows are part of the religious life. And for those <coughs> nuns, when they enter novitiate, they do uh, temporary vows because that's the time that you're still testing. If, is this truly my vocation? And it's also a time during which the convent or the mother superior can, can assess if these girls are really called to the religious life. And then once you're, there's, there's certainty about that, you make eternal vows which means for the rest of your life, you will live a life in obedience, poverty, and chastity. The thing is, this happens in on the verge of all these big changes in the church. The Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council, is convened in Rome, and Mother Superior gets all sorts of news from Rome about all these innovations and these new plans, and the church is changing. And she can't cope with it. She thinks it's ho the most hor horrible thing ever. Um, and she is afraid that the church is crumbling with all these innovations and it will be the end of, of monastic life. And a lot of the things that she... Um, that were a, a very important part of her life are now getting changed and abolished sometimes. And so she keeps everything secret for the for the for her fellow sisters and for the novices even more. What's more, this mother superior is almost a caricature, and I say almost because if you see it, it's like, oh, how can someone be so stern, so cruel sometimes? So there's so much psychological abuse of the other sisters. 
that you think you know this is a caricature. This is the f- the movie is made by actually by uh, is written and directed by someone who is not religious at all. Um, is the I forgot her name, but she read the the writings of Sister Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and uh, she was struck and even blown away by the way in which Mother Teresa talked about her relationship with God. Um, almost as if God was her husband and they would have quarrels and fights and, and, and it was a very rocky relationship. And that we know that because those are the right. That's what Mother Teresa wrote. She had a very stormy relationship with, uh, with, uh, with God. Um, but she was fascinated by the fact that for, for her that was all new and she was like, well, nuns are actually very complex uh, people, I never realized that. I always thought they were just so very boring and very one-dimensional. The, the opposite was true. That's why she wanted to make this movie. So <clears throat> she uses a lot of the turmoil that she got from the writings of Mother Teresa and, and, and wrote that into the script for this Mother Superior. And so the, a lot of people were upset about this movie and calling it a, an attack. And of course, it's an, this is so, such a caricature. And I would say... I don't agree with that because I think, not only I think, I know that things like that happened. Uh, There were mother superiors like that. And actually not just before the Second Vatican Council. I know personally of a convent where mother superior was way worse than the mother superior in uh, in, in this particular movie. And... Uh, the abuse of power is something that has always happened, and especially in those situations where, uh, despite all the good intentions, um, the religious life turns into sectarian life, and people just grab the power, and there is no transparency. And I've I've heard about sisters leaving their vocation, leaving the convent, and uh, completely. Uh, losing their faith because they were uh, abused by their superiors in in a monastic setting. And I have a number of stories that corroborate the kind of portrayal that is done in this movie. What this movie does really well is to show what what that does to those young girls and how they cope with it or don't cope with it. Um, These girls are 16, 17 years old, so they grow older. Um, they, They... uh, experience feelings uh, sometimes. Uh, um, what you call it? Um, they fall in love with other sisters, or um, they are hunkering for love, uh, and because they, well, they may be not recalled to a, a life in in celibacy, um, it, it, it creates all sorts of tensions between those sisters, and 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 then. The, the, the problem is not that they have those feelings because they're human beings, right? It's not that you once you enter a convent or you are, are ordained a priest, all of a sudden God switches off your biology. Not at all. But the, what is much more important is always how do you grow in that celibate life? How can you grow in chastity? It's not something that you just flip on and then all of a sudden, you know, there is nothing going on anymore. Um, no, but it, it's 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 a uh, what is very important is how do you accompany these young girls or when it's a seminary, uh, you know, uh, boys or or young men to 
learn how to grow in that life that is completely dedicated to God and that is a chaste life and a celibate life. In this monastery, in the movie, that is not at all what happens. Everything that has to do with sexuality, with these feelings, is all labeled as very grave sin and is repressed. You can't talk about it. You are not even allowed to, f- to have those feelings. You are not allowed to have doubts about your vocation, about God. The moment that, um, or particular friendships, um, whenever that happens, Mother Superior just kicks you out or, or uh, humbles you to the point of sadism. Um, and then, of course, the, 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 the movie tells the story of what that means for that girl. And um, I won't spoil how it ends, but I thought that it was done... Sometimes it's shocking um, and, and disturbing. And at the same time, it's, I think, very um, authentic. And I'm actually... I'm blown away by the, by the acting. And also, uh, the, in the first part of the movie, how much that resembled my own situation when I entered seminary. I was 17 years old when I felt that God called me to the priesthood. And when I see, in the first part of the movie, when I see how they portray this falling in love with God, I was like, that is me. Well, I wasn't a girl, and I didn't enter a a women's convent, but all the rest is exactly how I experienced my early years in vocation. And the struggles also so recognizable the doubts the am i good enough how do i live this life of celibacy and chastity and all that is part of i think the life of everything who was called to religious life or the priesthood and so i i was very impressed especially because this movie was not made by someone who is familiar with the the catholic world in that respect or with life in a in a convent um maybe the only the only thing the movie uh, omits, and it is a big omission, I think, is that um, there is almost no example of 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 nuns in that convent that are actually totally where they should be, and they're happy with their vocation. It's like the people you care for the most all kind of leave and, f- well, fail in the eyes of Mother Superior. And that, to me, is, a, is not realistic. I think that there, in, in, in every... I've seen it myself in seminary. There are always uh, fellow seminarians that can't cope and that stop, uh, that just leave the seminary. I've known a number of priests that have left the priesthood because it was just... It wasn't their vocation. And maybe, and, or maybe they made mistakes. It's possible, too. But I also know that in every situation, in every seminary, in every, you know, diocese or convent or monastery, there are lots of the majority of the people are supposed to be there and live a, a, a happy life. Not always an easy life, but it, it, the, the, the monastic life is not always um, it, it causing all sorts of depressions and struggles. And, and uh, you can, I, I'm consider myself to be a very very happy priest does it mean that my life is always easy and that i never have struggles no of course not but i know that i this is my life and this is my vocation and i will 
continue this life uh, because that's what I feel is is uh, gives me happiness, and I think that is true. And and in mo- in the movie you don't see that that much. It's all as if monastic life in itself is just outdated and 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 wrong and and hurting people and causing damage. So um, and maybe it is because the 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 director and the writer. Uh, based most of her um, dialogue and the storylines on the witnesses or testimonies of of nuns that had left uh, their vocation. So uh, people no longer are ex-religious. And they can still give you very valuable information and give you an insight in what religious life was like and what struggles, what kind of struggles they had to face. But I, it, I think the movie could have been much stronger if she had also interviewed um, religious sisters that are very happy or that went through that transition time and, and, and did find that balance um, that I think is, is essential for a religious life and for any life that is dedicated to God. So anyway, that was a long review. Um, but uh, uh, again, uh, I, I can recommend the movie. I think it's really, really well done. It even when the movie ended during the credits, I was just like I I sat there for about fifteen minutes just in total silence. So that's how much I was impressed, and and it made me think back of, you know what the 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 biggest question I'm already kind of making the transition to this is the peculiar bunch. You know what this movie did to me? Uh, the story is very much about. What do you do when everything crumbles? This 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 uh, mother superior. She feels that the church is literally collapsing, and she can't cope with it. The these young girls, they see that everything that they first believed in, their idealism, their the fervor of those first years, it's all falling away. And, it, it, and all of a sudden, monastic life is no longer the Audrey Hepburn, you know, wonderful, magical, romantic world that they thought that they would enter for the rest of their lives. And they discover that it's hard and it's difficult and demanding and you don't always feel God. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things that you hear. And I was like, I totally recognize that. There are moments of of really, of where you feel you're in the desert and, and, and where where are you, God? You were f- so close. I could almost touch you. That's how much I felt your love. And now, I don't even know if you're there, <laughs> right? And everyone goes through times like that. And so the question that I asked myself when I was sitting there after the movie was over and it, and it was totally quiet in the house. It's like, um, what would I do if everything crumbles if I don't know, uh, the I, I was I don't know fired from the parish, or my bishop would tell me, um, stop your media activities. I've I've thought about this. I prayed about this, and I want you to stop with the podcast and with the YouTube stuff. And I, I have no, I, I don't think that he will ever say that. But what if? What if he would say that? And he said, I don't want you to work in the parish anymore. Because I think you're a bad priest or whatever, and uh, whatever you do, just 
I don't care, but you're no longer uh, allowed uh, to work as a parish priest and you're no longer allowed uh, to uh, live, uh, to, to, to work in the media. I don't even want you to use Legos anymore. <laughs> no more Lego building. No more Star Wars. Uh, what would I do? What would be... Um, would, would my life crumble? Would that make everything senseless? Or is my the fact is my, that my priesthood is that based on the things that I currently do and love to do and do with all my heart? Or do I need a stronger foundation? Is the fact that I'm a priest and the foundation of that life isn't that ultimately God Himself? So, is my relationship with God able to to survive the storms? Even if I'm thrown overboard, would I sink like Peter into the water? Or would I be able to grab the hand of the one who called me? And uh, could I wither the storm? That question. That's what this movie did to me. And that, in my idea, makes this such a good movie. A movie that makes me think and that makes me ask maybe the most fundamental question of my life. Where are you if everything crumbles and the only thing left is God? Is God good enough for you? Or do you need Star Wars and Legos and media and podcasts and whatnot? It really made me think. I know what my answer is. <laughs> I know it now. All right, with that. No, we already did the Peculiar Bunch. Books! I even did some reading this When did week. you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I, I'm reading such a fascinating book. It's written by a Dutch researcher and historian, author of uh, one of the books that is already translated in English. is uh, titled Utopia for Realists, How We Can Build the Ideal World. It's a relatively young researcher and an amazingly good writer. Very, very... Uh, it's a page-turner. And you would not expect that from an historian. <laughs> I don't know. History books, sometimes... I, I have to be very motivated to go read this. But this one, I'm just turning page after page after page. This is not his Utopia book. By the way, that was already a bestseller internationally. But he has now written a book, um, and it's called... Humankind, A New History. That's going to be the English title of the book. Humankind, A New History. Um, but the Dutch title, I think, is actually more intriguing. And if I would translate that the original title in English, it would say something like, Most People Are Good. And his, his uh, theory is that in, we live in a very cynical world. Where, um, and the cynicism and the skepticism, uh, you know, we, we see everyone as a potential enemy. Um, economy is based on greed, on all sorts of, you know, uh, online interaction is, is almost open warfare right now. And that makes, us re that makes us organize our own lives and it makes us choose in a certain way. And he said, I don't believe that premise. I don't believe that the majority of people are evil, are egotistical, only think of themselves. I don't believe that most people first think of themselves. 
And therefore, I think that an economy that is based on greed, on the principles of greed, um, is is going to fail because most people are good. And I was like, I like that because that's what I believe too. I, I think that, yes, people have a tendency to be selfish from time to time, but I think that most people are actually quite nice. That's always been my premise on, on, the, in, in, on, on YouTube as well. I remember I was streaming Lego one evening and... Um, there was one uh, one of my viewers. Her screen name, I think, was Luna Lovegood. So I already was like, that's awesome. That's an awesome screen name. And, and at one point, she was like, I have never been in a live stream where everyone in the chat was so kind and respectful and nobody is fighting. And, 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 and I was like, whoa, yeah. I did not realize that, that actually the... That, the the, the 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 very nice laid back way in which my YouTube audience is usually interacting, even when I'm not there, you know, sometimes I have to go open the door or something like that and then come back, and then, then everyone in the chat room is just chatting and being friendly and helping each other and listening to each other and sometimes even praying for each other. And it's like <laughs> I realize that that in a lot of places on on the web and on YouTube. It's a it's war. It's a terrible. You don't you normally don't read the comments. Whatever you do, don't read the comments because it's terrible. It's a jungle out there, and and but I I I feel that um, and it's also the kind of reactions that I get on on a, um, on on the YouTube videos. Like for instance, my reaction video to the Star Wars trailers. Ninety five percent of the people that react are like. You're such a nice guy, <laughs> you know. You're you're not you know criticizing. You're not bitter. You're not um, uh, hating on Star Wars. But you seem like a genuinely optimistic, friendly guy. And it's like, yeah, not. I'm not definitely not always. You know what you see and what you hear on a podcast. Of course, it's it's my it's the cheerful me. It's post coffee. <laughs> I have times like everyone else where i'm grumpy where i'm frustrated where i'm you know i'm not very nice but if if i look at the like this, let's say if i put it in in percentages i would say i'm 10 percent really annoying also to the people around me but 90% of the time, I'm kind of cheerful and I enjoy the things that I do and I enjoy to be in the company of the people on YouTube and Facebook and my podcast listeners. And and and, and I think that, that in the, most people are like that. Uh, th th we see a dark side of people in... In the in anonymous chat rooms, etc., and and sometimes we we st we start to think that the entire world is like that, but that premise doesn't is is not is not correct. But what he does, and th that is so interesting, he uses sciences, psychology, history, um, research to prove that most of the time, even stories that we tell each other, um, even research that we all took for granted and, and thought that it just proves that most people are evil, he goes back and, as a researcher, scientifically disproves those stories. And, and it's fascinating. Um, to give you an example, you know uh, that um, famous book Lord of the Flies, which is fiction, but the writer of Lord of the Flies tells this story about a couple of kids that arrive on an island 
and then turn into these murderous people. Uh, and uh, when a year later they're discovered on that island, only a few kids are still alive, and they've murdered the rest. And 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 the book itself um, uses the premise that if left to our own, to to our, uh, if there is no society that that keeps us in check we would be horrible barbarians um there are also quite a few historians that say well in all in the dark times people were terrible and and we now are much more civilized and we are but but uh, if if left to our own devices mankind is terrible and so it's a very black image of uh, or or even a black anthropology in in terms I, I mean with black I mean dark and and as if our souls are pitch black and we're just uh, we're terrible people if not if 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 if, if it was it's got what he calls that the vernish theory so there's only a thin layer of vernish over everyone and that's our our civil interaction as soon as you take that away 99% of what we are is evil, selfish, even murderous. And um and so he he's like, well, what if Lord of the what if there is a real story of kids that end up on an island and 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 uh, has that ever happened? And so he finds this story of a of a, a couple of kids that actually um end up on an island their ship sings and whatnot and uh, and they're discovered about a year later and what and it turns out that these kids were super social they helped each other they cared for each other they made a vow to never quarrel to never fight and um and and so the 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 real Lord of the Fly story is a totally different story from the fiction the fictional book but everybody believes the fictional book a lot of the reality TV that we watch, we think that what we see is reality TV. Well, I, actually, I know from personal experience that everything you see on reality TV, because I've participated in a reality TV show, it's all scripted. It's storytelling. It's manipulated, uh, manipulative. Uh, 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 the people are being lied to. They're being incentivized to to hate each other, to fight, to... All the drama, there's no reality TV with drama, but a lot of, almost all the drama is artificially induced. And, um, but it, it, it does confirm in our minds this premise, this theory, this Vernish theory, that you see, this reality TV, look how evil these people are. Uh, take a show like Gordon Ramsay's uh, Hell's Kitchen. That is not normal behavior. Even Gordon Ramsay is just a showman. He's actually a very nice guy. He's got a bunch of kids, and he's a very good father. And yes, he swears a lot, but it's that's more... <laughs> that is a gimmick. That's part of his TV persona. But in reality, and if you've read his uh, biography, you know that actually he's not at all like that. He's a very kind guy. He really wants to help people. He has got a passion for cooking, and yes, in the, the heat of the of the of the minute, he will maybe sometimes explode, but doesn't make him a bad guy or, or an evil person. On the contrary, and so a lot of the the things that you see happening in Hell's Kitchen is all fake. It's all like pushing people so that they become that. But if you would 
have the occasion to spend a, a week with Gordon Ramsay just cooking stuff and um, let's try something out. <laughs> you wouldn't have reality TV. Nobody would watch it because everybody would get along. So, um, th- th- another story, fascinating, is um, Easter Island. There is a, a prevalent theory about Easter Island that in the time, that uh, in the age that the, the, the uh, islanders built those big statues that are so famous for Easter Island, <clears throat> that that was actually the beginning of the end. And that they even turned to cannibalism and uh, they murdered each other and it was a horrible, it was hell on earth. And that is actually a widespread uh, historical theory. And it seemed seemingly also supported by archaeological finds, findings. And it turns out everything you thought you knew about Easter Island is false. And is actually... And he demonstrates it, why it is not correct. And so he goes on like, I haven't finished the book yet, but it's a fascinating book. There are some things that I don't like about the book, and most of them have to do with religion. Um, the writer of the book is uh, the son of, uh, of a preacher man. His father is a, is a Protestant pastor. He loves his parents, by the way. He dedicated the book to them. But he himself lost, according to an interview that I read, he uh, lost his faith when he discovered that what they told him in church, that namely that Genesis is real, that it just happened the way it was written in the Bible, literal biblical interpretation. I talked about that and the dangers of that. And then he heard in school they taught him about uh, the evolution theory. And it's like, so I've been lied to all my life. So I'm no longer a believer. You see, it ma- really matters how you interpret uh, the Bible and if you uh, are pro- a proponent of a literal interpretation of the Bible or some of these stories may be allegorical or maybe certain literary forms. It doesn't make them untrue, but not true in, in the sense that it's an eyewitness account. But anyway, so, but, and, and as a result, he is very superficial when it comes to religion. And, and he says, I'm only interested in religion as far as it... it um, I'm interested in what religion does to people and how it makes people behave. And then he very quickly says, most most of the time religion has a very negative world uh, anthropological view. So very negative view of who we are because well, people need to be saved, right? So if you if religion wants to sell you a savior, then it first needs to establish that you need to be saved so that you are actually evil. And without a savior, we're going to go to hell. And and he um, is, well, he doesn't say that it's always the case because his own parents are very good people. So religion also uh, can ma- help people be very good to other people. But but there is so little about religion. And, I'm, I'm, and it's so almost a caricature uh, of, of what we're... Uh, be- and I think also a caricature of the... Of the um, I, I wonder if his... his idea of Christian anthropology isn't based on a very Protestant view of who we are. Whereas if you would, um, and I'd love to go in and debate with him a little bit or talk with him about the Catholic view of, of, uh, of, of who we are. And I, but because I think that the, the Catholic anthropology is fundamentally positive. Yes, we have been uh, tainted by original sin, 
And we, we have a tendency to lie and to think of ourselves and be selfish, but, but we still are made in the image of God. And so we have an immense capacity, capacity to love and to forgive. And, and all that is part of who we are. And it's not, sin has not destroyed that entirely. That's the difference with some of these more uh, Protestant views of, uh, of, of mankind, uh, where everything is rotten. And you, and you need to be saved by Christ and Christ alone um, because otherwise it's hell. And, and, and I think Catholics are much more nuanced. No, there is good in you. <laughs> we would say to Vader, Luke is very Catholic, Luke Skywalker. I still believe there is good in you. Uh, if Luke were Protestant, he would probably say, Father, you will go to hell unless you em- uh, embrace the, the light side. <laughs> and... Uh, Lucas, no, I believe there is there is good in you. Not you can become good, you can convert and be saved. No, there is still good in you. And that the, the goodness that is in Darth Vader's heart is what actually ultimately makes him choose for his son instead of the emperor and gives him the courage to destroy the emperor. That is very Catholic. The good may be very far, it may be dormant, may be forgotten, maybe almost completely gone, but never completely gone. And that good, goodness can be activated. And in most people, that goodness is, is, is part of their daily life. I know a lot of good people, and most of them are not even Christian. But they're just good because they're made in God's image, and God is good. And that's what they reflect. So, fascinating book. I'll uh, continue to read it and um, maybe give you a, like a summary review in the, in the next episode. Um, what else? Oh, we need to talk a little bit about science, I think. Or science fiction, or both. UFOs. Is that science, or is that science fiction? I don't know. What does a jingle say? I don't even know what this jingle is. It's probably science fiction. Let's, let's wait and see what it says. My brain is um, mashed potatoes right now. <laughs> I need calories, sleep... And a little bit more health. I see aliens. Real aliens. aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! All right. This uh, past week was filled with uh, both science fiction and science. Or... Maybe some scientific observations of what we thought was all science fiction. And I'm talking about UFOs. Did you read that report that um, they are now starting to publish reports on on sightings of UFOs that actually are on the rise? Not sightings by just you and me, but sightings by professional pilots that have seen unidentified flying objects. Let's not forget, it's UFOs, not aliens. We, the media, and and we, when we like to have sensationalist stories, we would love to see that as, oh, confirmation of alien life. But that's not the case. It's unidentified, maybe you should say not yet identified flying objects. But definitely objects, flying, because they've been seen, sometimes also filmed. But we don't know yet what it is. We don't have... But what I've learned from skepticism is... <laughs> Always go for the most likely explanation. An alien life visiting us in flying saucers is the most unlikely explanation of those UFOs. So there's probably 
a better and more scientific explanation. We just don't know exactly what it is yet. So I was reading upon that, uh, and, and I was like, I'm fascinated that they're starting to... And the reason that, that they kept this kind of a bit under under wraps is because of this hysteria about aliens visiting us. And most alien stories uh, or stories about encounters with aliens, alien abductions, have a perfectly rational explanation. Uh, and if you don't believe me, just listen to some of those skeptic, skeptic podcasts. Uh, Skeptoid is a good one. Um, but also Jimmy Aiken's uh, Mysterious World, which is a show, a podcast on SQPN. Um, very interesting. And the critical thinking, just keep your head cool and don't immediately go for aliens because that is not a very scientific attitude in life. But anyway, speaking of aliens, of course... In a couple of days from now, you'll have this big Storm Area 1 event that I know that you've heard about. So this started as a hoax, basically a fake event that someone started, I don't know who. And it said, well, you know what? The government is trying to hide what's truly happening happening on Area 51. And we know, of course, all that it has to do with UFOs and aliens. And of course, if you've seen uh, Independence Day, they even go to Area 51 and, and there are actually live aliens there. Um, I love that movie. It's so cheesy and so it's such a bad movie, but it's so good at being bad. Um, anyway, so... There, there was this idea, well, let's all go to Area 51 and storm the place. They can't stop a million people, right? And more than a million people have said that they will actually go to Area 51. And another million and a half people have said they are at least interested. So everyone in the area of Area 51 is praising him or herself for what is going to happen in these next couple of days. And, uh, and of course, a lot of... Uh, local businesses are like, bring it on! We have souvenirs! We have alien cupcakes and alien burgers and alien Coca-Cola. And and so, I am very... I think a lot of the, of the, of the people that say they're going to go there are not going to go there. I think it, this will probably be very minor, but I still want to see what's going to happen and I know, I know for sure that that there are going to be Netflix documentaries about this. Th absolutely someone or maybe multiple people are making doc great documentaries about this in a couple of years from now or maybe next year already we will see a documentary about Storm Area 51. The government, of course, is very anxious and there's like, um, okay, what if 30,000 people are going to try to storm the premises? What are we going to do? Are we going to shoot them? <laughs> so it's going to be, I think, a very, very interesting... I just hope that no one will get hurt. I mean, this started as a hoax, just for fun, and I hope it will stay that way, but I really hope that there won't be, you know, any accidents or mass hysteria or whatnot. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. If I think if I lived in the area, I'd grab my camera and make a documentary. <laughs> or a vlog. <laughs> All right, let's wrap things up with a little bit of technology. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. 
But there is one more thing. There is one more thing. And, uh, well, unfortunately, there wasn't one more thing. Uh, I'm, I'm talking, of course, about the Apple keynote last week. The announcement teased big innovations. Even the word innovation was part of the, um, uh, of the press release or the announcement of the event. And um, I was also fascinated by the logo on the, on the invitation. And it, it, it kind of evoked the old days of the Apple where the iMac was like this multicolored, semi, semi-transparent, beautiful monitors with built-in computer. The glory days of Apple where every keynote was an event and, and everybody the next day would be talking about it. So I was like, well, maybe, maybe this time we'll get something to get excited about instead of just upgrades. But alas, no. It was just Tim Cook enters the stage. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm not going to waste much time. We have so many innovations to show you. And what do we get? Oh, just a new iPhone, iPhone 11. So they, the iPhone 11 is a successor to XR. And it's a, it's a perfectly fine phone. It looks great. Ca- Wide-angle camera, just as everybody expected. And uh, I have a, an Android phone now with a wide-angle camera. I love it. I couldn't live without it anymore. It's, it's, it's So Apple made the right choice. More battery life. That's what everyone wanted. And yeah, so this one has a better, uh, better, better battery life. So kudos to Apple for that. I think it will sell like, hot, like hotcakes. And another criticism of a lot of Apple owners was the phones are too expensive. And you can't compete with all those Chinese phones that are same value but so much cheaper. So they lowered the price. Very good market decision. But is it innovative? No. The Pro phones, the iPhone Pros, they're great phones. Expensive phones, great phones, flagship phones. Are they innovative? No. Nah. No, it's just it's Apple quality. So it's really, really good. Doing really, really well what other people have done before, other companies have done before. That's Apple nowadays. And I kind of like, oh, I wish something... I, the, the new iPad. Great iPad. Great value for money. But why still keep those bezels? Why keep the home button? Just give us this thin bezels like on the pros. Now, don't give us this old design. The iPad has looked like that for years now. And if you want to have sl- uh, smaller bezels, you got to uh, buy the, the, the Apple iPad Pro and they're so expensive. Way too expensive. Um... Apple Watch 5, always on screen. If you, Great, yeah. But I have a tick watch that costs 99 euros, 99 dollars, so even cheaper in euros, and it already had uh, uh, always on for years. So I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that the, iWatch, the Apple Watch didn't have always on. So, um, yeah. Apple TV Plus, they finally announced... Uh, the launch, start of November, right before Disney+. Plus. I bet you they were waiting for the announcement of Disney+, Plus, so that they could decide the launch date and the price. It's not by, by accident that they didn't say anything about that so far. Uh, $4.99, $5 a, a month. Um, that's okay. Not many shows, though, compared to Disney+. Plus. It's really, really um, uh, thin, what they offer. Um... 
and you get it for free if you buy a new iPhone and an iPad. And that, I think, is how Apple will artificially get a lot of subscribers. Will they stick around for another year after the first year for free? I'm not sure. Anyway, I haven't seen anything. I may get it for five bucks a month for a while. Just take a look. But even the previews, the trailers, there was nothing that was like, oh, I need to see that. Um, so, yeah, it was fine. It was great. Oh, the, and then they had the gaming service, flat fee, and then you get exclusive games. That, to me, seems dead on arrival, really. You know, games without buzz will not work. I don't think that Apple understands the gaming community. What makes gaming so cool is not that the game is cool, but that you play the games like everyone else and you get to talk about it, you get to game together. You can't do that with this closed system. It's great if you're already an Apple fan, and um, but I don't think it will last. I don't think it will, it, it will compete with... Uh, it, it, no, I just think it's going to fail. Anyway, that's what I believe. That was kind of my reaction. You may have a totally different idea <clears throat> of um, of what Apple did. Uh, that's fine. I totally respect that. But for me, it was it was not what I expected. Well, it was kind of what I expected. So I was a bit disappointed. Anyway, there will always be new tech to get excited about. Uh, about. Uh, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Take care. And God bless.